0: Welcome in, everybody, to the How Not to Be a Youth Pastor podcast. Kyle and Derek back with you on another episode, talking every single week about how we have no idea how to be youth pastors. Uh, This week, sponsored by the one and only Mott's Fruit Snacks. Great friend of the show. Great friend of the show, company of Mott's, since 1842 making fruit snacks. I
1: don't know if they've been making fruit snacks that long, but... Did they even have fruit snacks in 1892? 1842. 18, okay. 1842. So this yeah. is this is pre-Civil War action that we're talking here, right? 1865 the was internet, Civil War. According to the
0: internet, fruit snacks were first invented by Louis Schalhaub in the nineteen seventies. Wow. As a lightweight, high energy snack food for backpackers. High energy.
1: Well, really? sugar.
0: You know. I, I so no, they have not Mott's has not been making fruit snacks since 1842, but uh they do also make some delicious apple
1: juice. So maybe that's uh where they got some
0: apple sauce. That is a good point.
1: I'm uh you know just par for the course, I had to go to the Mott's website to see what, what, <laughs> why uh why we do this, I'm not sure. Um Samuel R. Mott was the founder of Mott's. He began growing and packaging apples in New York. So, um his grandfather was Zebulon Mott. What a sick name. Zebulon. Zebulon. Like imagine saying Zebulon, can you come here? And I feel like you'd have to be on the set You're of Zeb for sure, yeah, right? Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. or something.
0: It does sound like the name of a spacecraft. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Zebulon. Zebulon.
0: That's pretty good. I like it. Thanks, Mott. Yep. Uh
1: quick question of the day, Derek. Did you provide fruit snacks for your co-host? All right, I did. Hold on. Okay. Thank you. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't really feeling Mott's fruit snacks. Until I got a whole box of them. You're sitting here munching on them and then I'm like, man, those <laughs> look really good. So that was your quick question of the day though, right? No, 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 no. Okay. Quick question
0: of the day is, uh, Derek, what's on your Christmas list? Oh boy. Not that I'm going to get you a present, but
1: it's just good to know. I got your Christmas present. You got me a Christmas present? I did, actually. Wow, that's terrifying. I'm going to give it to you probably in the next week or two. Don't love that. Um, What's on my Christmas list? Man, um, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you, uh, because my wife already picked out all my presents, uh, which she's awesome that way. Uh, Here's what I do know. Um, I'll be purchasing a dog in about six months. So there's a lot of things on that list that I really desire for yep. that dog. A a special kennel that's five star crash test rated, which is, means it's really expensive. Um, you know, some that's pretty much honestly it. All hunting's and dog material. So I won't bore you with the details. Are but, you
0: anticipating dog number one getting jealous of the
1: arrival of dog number two? Um no. I think he loves any and all other dogs, and so I think he's gonna be stoked. Are you anticipating wife number one
0: being jealous with the arrival of dog number two? <laughs> what are you trying to say?
1: i jealous? Yeah. Absolutely not. I think she's excited for me. Also not pumped about how much I'm spending on dog number two. Well. <laughs> but I will you know, say, in my defense, um, I picked up a side hustle all summer long that single-handedly paid for dog number two. So it all worked out. That uh, that works. Did Kyle, what's about, on... Did you talk about this side hustle when we were talking about all the random jobs we've had? Um, I don't think so. I did. <laughs> I, I should have, though. Kyle, what are you asking for uh, for Christmas from
0: Santa? Well, I am 29, which means I am firmly planted in the stage of life where my Christmas list consists of just practical stuff I need in life that I don't want to buy myself. Toilet paper. So, no, not quite toothpaste. that practical. But, um jeans would love you did not
1: ask for jeans i would love some jeans
0: for christmas um could go for some socks uh but here's the not just any socks man have you ever have you ever worn bombas you have bombas on oh i was wearing them yesterday
1: not today Uh, yeah,
0: so comfortable. I love those. I think I ask for Bombas every single year. I never uh, get them. No, I always okay. get them. I just want more <laughs> I, of them.
1: The, the way you kind of intro that oh, was no. like,
0: I'm <laughs> at Santa for I'm this mean, for four, keep four years for them and I never get them. Uh, so yeah, there's uh, there's a couple items like those um, that are that are on the list, and I'm I'm really really boring. I actually, my wife has asked me to come up with some better stuff. For my Christmas list this year. So, we'll see.
1: Well done. Yep. Anyways, we're not
0: here just to talk about Christmas.
1: We're all here to talk about why moths stick in your teeth more than any of their fruit snacks I've ever ate. They
0: do. It is true. It's bad. Uh, that's going to bug us all episode. Yep. But no, we're here to talk about... Um, uh, we're, we're beginning a series that we have been hyping up for a while. And... I this this episode kind of feels like part zero, and then we'll do a four part series after this. Even though like it's a five part series, but this is kind of like the pre the prequel the prequel to uh, this is this is the Hobbit episode, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then the, the future
1: episodes are the Lord of the Rings. Fun fact: I have never once seen the Lord of the Rings. I have seen the Hobbit, but not any Lord of the Rings. I read
0: The Hobbit book, and I believe wow. it was made into four movies. Hmm. If I remember correctly, and I saw the first two, or it was three and I saw the first two, uh, I have not seen any of The Lord of the Rings. I've read the first 10 pages of the first book, wow. and then I got bored and put it down. 10 pages. Yeah. Well done. Proud of you. It was it was dry, man. I was not a fan. Uh, we're going to get a lot of hate mail on that, but yep. that's all right. Uh, no today. So, so we've been, been kind of advertising that, uh, the church that I, Kyle work at, uh, has been in a transition period. And so we were going to kind of break it down and, uh, and talk about it through this series, because there's a lot of, I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that we talk about that, you know, even if you go to school, go to college to be in ministry, this is not stuff that people talk about. For good reason. (laughs) Fair. But even just some of the practice of it. Yeah. uh, And and it doesn't always have to be, uh, you know, when when you're going through a senior pastor transition, like pastors, uh, this is going to be shocking news to some people. Pastors actually retire sometimes. And so the transition isn't always, you know, bad or abrupt or whatever. Like it can be something that you plan for. But uh, we want to talk about okay, kind of what does, what does this whole process look like? What has my experience been and the experience of our church? What were some of the things that we did or didn't do? Uh, and would we do it the same way again? And so uh, we're going to get into all of that uh, throughout this series. But what, uh, what we want to do first is kind of lay the groundwork of the standard that pastors are held to. Because if you are in leadership in any format, uh, whether that is in the church, in the workplace, uh, in your family, whatever type a uh, uh, sports team, whatever type of leadership you could be in. I, and I should look this up because I feel like I've referenced it a lot recently. When you, it's probably a John Maxwell thing. when you are in leadership, the higher in leadership you go, the more rights that you give up. Uh, I think we actually talked about that in in an episode of the podcast. And uh, pastors, for example, we cannot, like, I don't get to just go blasting a candidate for, president or, or another political figure. And, and then like, you know, the, you guys should all vote for this person. You shouldn't vote for this other person that gets really, really dicey, really quick. Um, and, and I legally can't do it from the pulpit, but there are other things that, uh, you know, there, there's a standard for pastors, uh, in, in leadership, in conduct, in teaching, in doctrine, that uh, that we are held to that is higher than the people volunteering underneath us. It is higher than our congregations. Uh, and so that's what we kind of want to talk about today.
1: And I think it's important to draw a very critical distinction about this standard, because I think there's a standard by which human beings hold you to, or how they perceive you, how they view you. And then there's that standard of what does the Lord expect of you? Because here, here's what I mean by that, Kyle. I have heard a very good sentiment of the fact that, you know, people sometimes put pastors on a pedestal, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or any, any public speaker for that matter of, you know, when you get up on stage and you deliver a message and people know you as a pastor a lot of times people will assume that uh, that you can do no wrong, that they sometimes they will try and follow you, they'll try to emulate you and all that's great. But I've heard a lot of times, sometimes people over-glamorize the person in the pulpit as in assuming they have no wrong, they are perfect, they are at the standard. So I've heard as a counter to that, like pastors are just people too, you know? Like mm-hmm. we just like don't hold them to a higher standard as you would another human being. That's the human side of it. Now, the spiritual side, though, is look what it says in the book of James, James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Um, you know, you can get into the context of that. You can get into the exegesis, is he talking about, you know, the the people judging them more strictly, all all that. But to me, when I look at this, it's the Lord puts a high responsibility upon those who speak from the pulpit. He is expecting you that you will carry yourself in a way that um, is honorable, a way that gives him honor and glory, a way that points back to him. And that's why he judges us more strictly because when you step foot on that stage and you grab a microphone and you say, this is what I'm standing behind, there is a lot of responsibility and a lot of a lot of just... Uh, honor you have to do because you are representative of Christ in that moment yep. and how you represent him makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah. I think that we, we, I, I think sometimes we pedestalize ourselves too. Mm. Um, When, when you think about, you know, you're, you're spot on with, with the uh, Bible reference there, which we sh- do shockingly little for being a podcast about youth ministry, Uh, whether it's other people pedestalizing us or us pedestalizing us, Mm. I think oftentimes that that takes the focus off of, you know, God's view of us. And, you know, you're right. Like God is the one that sets the standard. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is not us. It's not the people underneath us. And that's the standard that we have to keep an eye on Um, because at the end of all of it, we are not judged by man or us. We are judged by God. And if we have spent our entire lives seeking the approval of man, uh, bending to man's standards, then we're in trouble.
1: Yeah. And that, I was gonna say that that very reality is both an encouragement and a challenge because when someone's mad at you, it's, it's encouraging to go, well, I'm not judging what they think about me. I'm just mm-hmm. what God thinks about me. Yeah. That's the encouraging part. The challenging part is when your congregation and everybody else around you says like, you're just awesome. And I I love you. And and, and you're affirming what I'm doing. Now that that's a bad thing, cause it's not inherently a bad thing. That can be a really good thing. You guys have some great people who are operating in a gift of exhortation. They're encouraging you. That's great. But if people are never upset with you, I'd question, are you truly speaking the ultimate truth? Because the reality is the truth hurts. The true genuine truth hurts. And if you open up scripture, there are gonna be things that challenge you. There are gonna be things that are truthful, that make you question, go, man, do I have this wrong? And that can be challenging. And so, yeah, that's exactly right, Kyle. It's uh something I've been talking a lot about with people um recently is I've really been praying for church health over church growth. You mm-hmm. know, because a lot of people look at church growth, I want to grow the church, and that's a great, admirable thing. However, if you don't have a healthy church, that growth is not going to be sustainable, or it might not even be healthy. You know, you can have a lot of people who love you, but the question is, are they growing closer to Jesus? And yeah. a healthy church would say, yes, they are. A prosperous, growing church might say, I don't know if their growth is, but our attendance is.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to lean in a little bit more to this, you know, I guess doctrinal side of the standard for a minute, because you know the the spiritual leadership that we provide in in a youth pastor context. You're providing spiritual leadership to uh, your youth ministry. You are teaching your youth ministry, and that is where. Like there's a standard there that we are held to that other people are not. And in this case, I would say a lot of that standard comes from, or the, the difference between what we are held to and what other people are held to is comes more in the punishment than it does, you know, the actual standard itself. Because from a doctrinal side, like there are things every Christian had better be on the same page of like Jesus is the son of God. Uh, you know, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Some of these things that you should, you know, have a firm grasp on no matter what, uh, whether you are the senior pastor or a brand new Christian, you probably have the same, excuse me. You probably have the same standard there, Mm -hmm. but if a congregant is, if a congregant is wrong, in some of their doctrine. You know, there's, for some stuff, there's a measure of grace. For some stuff, it's, all right, if you are wrong on that, then you might not be in heaven like you thought you were. (laughs) For a pastor, if they are mistaken or wrong on some of their doctrine, it is not just them that they affect. It is all of the people underneath them, their entire congregation, that they are responsible for. And so, the difference in standard on that side is not necessarily that, you know, we have to believe different things or we have to believe more things, but the difference is essentially in the punishment mm. and the weight behind it.
1: Yeah. I can, I can already, I mean, even when you lay it out that way, it's, it's, it's something that I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you feel it. I feel it all the time. Um, Every single morning that you jump onto the pulpit, every single Wednesday you step foot onto the stage and you grab that microphone, that should at least be a thought that what I'm about to say needs to be authentically grounded in the word. This has to be God's word because if you don't like that, there's a lot to that, you know? And, um, I, and this, what we'll talk about, Kyle, it's not even just what you say, It's the life that you live, you know, Mm -hmm. like that, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's one thing to have questionable doctrine or questionable theological stances. that that's a whole different conversation for a whole different time. We're talking about when you get on stage, are you representing what you preach? Mm -hmm. You're not perfect because Romans three says all of us fall short, all of us sin. But at the same time, are you allowing that sin to permeate into your, are you becoming tolerant of that sin? Um, because if you get up on stage and you talk about the importance of sanctification, holiness, doing the right thing, chasing after God, yet there's a glaring thing that you're allowing—you're a hypocrite, you know—and uh, it's, it's it's that 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 word can be harsh, and I don't mean it to be a, a dig or a slight, but it just it it goes back to that responsibility of when you take this role of a pastor, you are volunteering to say. I stand behind the fact that I will be judged more strictly and I am representing a higher standard Mm -hmm. and that's heavy. It should be heavy. Yeah. It, the,
0: the whole point of this episode, I think is to point out that and remind that not everybody is called to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's a heavy burden to bear if you are not, it's a heavy either way, but, I think it's especially heavy if you're not actually called to do this. You're trying to force your way into the position without the grace of God being present there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And even from, you know, some doctrinal thing, like Derek was talking about, you better, your actions better match your words. Mm-hmm. And and that's absolutely true. I also think that your words had better match God's words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, If, if you are, you know, you're getting up there preaching like, you know, Jesus, he's awesome. He's one of the ways that you get to heaven. Like, that's a problem. And, and you're going to have people within your ministry that, you know, stray because they think that they can, you know, follow another God and still get to heaven because you told them that. And when they don't get to heaven, that's on you. Like, it sounds dramatic, but it's true. Mm -hmm. The Bible says it would be better for you to have a millstone tied to your neck and be dropped in the river than for you to lead somebody astray in their faith. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. And and it's something that we got to take seriously.
1: Yeah. And we're going to talk about this, but I think it's also, to me, Everything we just said, cause if you're, if you're listening, you're going, okay, well, count me out of ministry. You know, it, it really is heavy. And um, I think we're taking this approach to talk about the severity and seriousness of it because it it demands it. But Kyle, to me, I think it just points out the fact of this is why it is so vital to be anchored. In the Lord, and to have your spiritual walk be vibrant. When we talk about you being anchored for yourself, it's not like, hey, you should eat vegetables because they're good for you, or you should work out because they're good for you. Like, no, the reason we talk about you being anchored is because you physically and spiritually cannot do the job as it's meant to be done without a thriving, prosperous, spirit filled walk of your own. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's like trying to drive a car without a key. If you are not anchored, for yourself, if you're not growing for yourself, if you're not being truly and utterly humble before the Lord, you can't get up on stage and handle this weight or speak the speak with conviction the word the Lord gave you. You have to be going first, and to me that's that's where that's where these two intersections meet. Is yes, it's a heavy burden. Yes, it's a heavy responsibility. Yes, take this thing seriously because it's important but also this is why the grace and the empowerment of God is so vital because you can't do it without those two things being in unison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, so I, I wanted to make that distinction too, because it's as much as we want to talk about the seriousness of this, because it needs to be, it's also, that's why that's where you get the ability to do this is through that empowerment and grace of, mm-hmm. the, of the Lord.
0: Yeah. I agree with
1: that. Um, the other,
0: one of the other uh, categories, yeah, i you going to call them that. I, uh, Categories where of of life where the bar is higher, uh, the standard is higher for pastors than congregants. Uh, I would say would be moral conduct, mm. uh, if if you want to call it that. And what I mean by that is is not like this one. This one's actually probably the opposite of the. Of the doctrine one. And and we're going to... I'm going to actually... You know what? This is terrible. We're actually going to kind of walk back some of the things that we literally just said. Sweet. I love that. It is category dependent. Because from a moral conduct standpoint, I would actually argue that it is not God... it, It is, but it's not God's standard that's the problem. Because... God's standard for all of us is to be faithful in our marriage. Mm-hmm. God's standard for all of us is don't be drunk. God's standard for all of us. Is, like none of those things don't uh, envy. Mm-hmm. All of those things are true regardless of who you are. Mm-hmm. On this one, it's actually the, like, the, the relationship with other people. Where the standard comes into play. Mm -hmm. Because if you are a pastor and you are an alcoholic or you have a gambling addiction, like obviously that is a problem between you and God, Mm -hmm. but it's also a huge problem in your ability to minister. Mm -hmm. Like that is something where like you should not be a pastor if you have an addiction to gambling or an addiction to alcohol. And, you know, we will get into this, uh, in the next episode, but there's, it. it's not, ministry is not something where you screw up once and you're done for life. Right. It doesn't have to be. Yep. Um, I think that there's, there's a, there's room for grace even in ministry
1: and reconciliation and redemption.
0: Yeah. Yep. But, you know, if if you are a pastor and you have an affair, there's room for all of that, but it might not be at the church that you're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you are a pastor and you get a DUI there, I'm just, you know, coming yeah. up with random... Yeah. Examples off the top of my head, but if you get a DUI as a
1: pastor, you might be able to pastor again, but it might not be in that community. And it's it's all things. It's getting arrested because you got into a fist fight at your local restaurant. Or, you know, we're not trying to call out any one thing. It's that you can you can draw the line here. Yeah. You know? Yep. I agree. Um so
0: i I want to talk about now these are these are just some of the examples. Uh, I'm sure there's more
1: oh, countless
0: yeah. of of places even i'll I'll use this one uh, along the lines of moral conduct. Uh, I like Derek there aren't like you should do everything in your power to avoid being in a situation where you are alone with a person of the opposite gender, correct? Same here. Yep. Uh there are like that is as a pastor, that is a line that like we can't even come close to. Yep. Um I think that there are there are some of those things too that, you know, maybe they are guardrails. Mm-hmm um that that we have to have in place that other people may not necessarily need to yeah uh they can choose to if they want to um you know you can think of things like that things like alcohol uh and and you know that's more of a denomination specific one mm-hmm. uh and and there's a level of personal conviction there potentially as well and so I, we don't have to, you know, dive deep into that one, but my point is, I think there's there's conduct that we are held to a higher standard on, but there's also some guardrails and some boundaries uh, that are in place for pastors that are different for
1: non pastors. Yeah, and I think you you come to understand the why of that. Yeah, some people don't like that. Some people don't like. Well, I, I'm not worried about that. I'm not going to do that. And you have to be okay and understand why those guardrails are in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because whether or not, you know, I, I we don't I don't want to get into this one, but if, if there's if there's is, this is another thing that I have an issue with is even if you don't agree with something or you personally don't have a problem with it, to me, all these things come back to what does the word say? If you doing something is going to be a stumbling block for somebody else then don't do it right? because that's the problem. It goes back to the millstone thing. Like when it comes to conduct, Kyle, like you said, it's not not inherently whether or not it's right or wrong for you or your conviction. The reason we have these guardrails up is also for us to keep ourselves safe, but also for the betterment of other people because if they see their pastor doing XYZ and they struggle with XYZ, they now have justification. If if even a pastor can do it, Mm -hmm. then I can do it too. Yeah. And that's why these guardrails are in place is to make sure that not only do you not fall, but also the people that you serve are not going to fall because of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So falling isn't great. We don't want that.
0: So how do we make sure that that hopefully doesn't happen? What measures uh, can we put into place to help us stay at that standard? I think that uh, forms of accountability are really, really important in that. And that's where some of those guardrails come into place. Um, you know, having policies uh, like the, uh, I know a pastor who actually, I, know, I feel like I know a lot of pastors where if they are going to meet, they're, 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 I need to have a meeting with somebody of the opposite gender. I'm not going to do it behind a closed door. Yep. You know, like there's, there's rules like that, that they will implement so that there's zero... Uh, they, you know, you you can't even make an accusation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have this meeting out where there's a security camera available, yep. or you know, different things like that. Um, I think that personal accountability is is another area where things are important because if we put up guardrails in our well, I mean, any form of accountability, any form of guardrail, if you really want to get around it, you can get around it. That's a hard issue, mm-hmm. but Having accountability from the people around you uh, is also very important in maintaining the standard that we are supposed to.
1: Yeah. And yeah, like I said, personally, you know, because I think depending on how your church is set up, you might have professional accountability, whether it's your elder board or your deacon board, or uh, if your are a youth pastor, your senior pastor probably has governance over you. And they're probably making sure that's that accountability of, hey, look, if you're preaching that there are multiple ways to get to heaven. Odds are your senior pastor is going to have a conversation because he's going to hear about it. He's going to let you know, or she's going to let you know, whatever that looks like. Uh, but I love Kelly. You said personal accountability because, you know, I know a big one, um, in the church world. Uh, and as we've talked about on this podcast before, pornography is a big deal. It's a big yep. issue, uh, pastor or not, it's an issue, you know, and, uh, when I think of that particular issue you got to have some personal accountability whether it's a best friend whether it's uh, a series of friends whether it's a sibling um, a mentor some way to check in on you and see how are you doing with this particular struggle uh, and there's all kinds of different ways we can get into that but you know it, it it really does make me sad that it seems the higher you go in leadership the more rights you lose but also the the more accountability you lose a lot the, of times yeah there are less people checking in on you. there are less people making sure you 're doing the right thing because there's more responsibility that you're doing that for yourself you know and and the the compromise for that is satan 's not dumb he 's not dumb he 's incredibly smart actually, and so if he can get you isolated, if he can get you alone, the deception of the enemy is strong, and why wouldn 't he attack you you 're a place of influence you 're a leader. And if there's less accountability for you, you're just that lonely gazelle out in the field by yourself. So mm-hmm. I would, I would dare say the higher you go on leadership, the more accountability you need to build around yourself. If you want to truly stay on the up and up.
0: Yeah. And it really does have to be, you know, we keep coming back to the idea of personal accountability Yeah, because, you know, having accountability partners that are, or, or people holding you accountable that are not in your immediate setting, uh, that doesn't work. Right Now, uh, you know, if you use a senior pastor as an example, a senior pastor for many things cannot have their congregants being the ones holding them accountable. No. Like that just doesn't work. Uh-uh. And so if you have a board of elders, a board of deacons, whatever that looks like, you know, that might be worked into it already. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it is, you know, I'm going to find some other senior pastors in this area that, uh, that can help hold me accountable. Or I have a really good friend that just goes, to, lives in the area, just goes to a different church yep. and I can, you know, they can help hold me accountable. I think that all of that can work. Um, it's just something that you have to be intentional about. Like Derek said, the other thing that you got to do is, and this goes right on, hand in hand with accountability is, you know, you have to be comfortable and welcome feedback and criticism, mm-hmm. especially criticism. Because if you, like, if I put together an accountability group and they never tell me anything negative, they never correct me in anything, mm-hmm. it's just a group of friends. Yep. There's no accountability. It's not accountability until there's correction. Yeah. And good. so if you are a youth pastor, you need to have people around you that you're okay with them telling you
1: stuff that is not going to be fun Uh to hear. And I would take this a step further along with that. You need to find the right people to get feedback and criticism from. Because I've also learned this, criticism is not hard to find. You'll have a lot (laughs) of critics, you know, and when that criticism comes from somebody that, um, just to be perfectly blunt, there are people that will give you criticism that have, no right to give you criticism. Mm-hmm. You know, like people's, pe- the the source is important to consider here is what I'm trying to say. And so, um, you know, as much as it's important to welcome that feedback and criticism, it's important to know who is delivering that feedback and that criticism because um, I'll, I'll share this. Uh, Kyle, we live in Minnesota, uh, you know, the land of passive aggressive, uh, the land of, uh, we're gonna sugarcoat something to death to where we're gonna have a come to Jesus meeting, but you're gonna have no idea what the issue is because we're gonna skirt around it so many times. Uh, you know, I was meeting with a uh, a therapist a few weeks ago who's from Florida, and the things that that dude was calling out in my life as feedback and criticism, I was like, okay, like that was incredibly direct, that was incredibly strong, and at first it struck me like that doesn't feel good, but then I realized he was right. And I needed that kick in the shorts. I needed that kick in the pants. And like, it was super, super good, you know? And so I love that you said that because it can be hard to swallow that feedback and that criticism, but if it's truly good stuff, it's going to challenge you and empower you to make transformation happen.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb here and quote a anonymous Instagram reel. Oh, nice. Which, is, which never backfires, and it's always a good idea. Never.
1: It's just like quoting Wikipedia as your true source.
0: Yep, absolutely, <laughs> 100%. Uh, I saw an Instagram reel the other day that talked about, basically the idea was if you truly love the people that you are leading, you will be honest you will you'll be honest with them that final ten percent or you'll share with them the last ten percent of truth mm. because oftentimes you know like Derek said we we need to have those tough conversations with somebody and we end up sharing about ninety percent of the truth mm-hmm. because seventy percent of the awkwardness seventy percent of the uncomfortable lives in that last ten percent of truth mm-hmm so I can just power through 30% uncomfortable to get 90% of the truth out there and feel like I did what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like I accomplished what I needed to accomplish. I feel like I'm a good leader. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that last 10% of truth. And I, I lived this. There was one time early on as a youth pastor, I had a youth leader who everything, everywhere that she was involved, that's where the drama in my students was. Like that's where the drama in the youth ministry was. And in hindsight, after I asked her to step down as a leader, all the drama went away. Hmm. And so I knew going in, it was the right thing to do. And forever looking back on it, it was definitely the right thing to do. That conversation that I had with her was about an hour long and it was, it lasted an hour and it was 45 minutes too long Mm -hmm. because I was trying to live in that 90% Mm -hmm. without going the rest of the way and say, and just bluntly laying it out and saying, this is, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's where I, I think that's where we do our people a disservice and that's where accountability can do us a disservice mm-hmm. when that final 10% of truth isn't shared well
1: i, I i'm stunned i mean that, that, I, that, that credit to instagram reels i wish i knew who it was and it's the reason that it's stunning is because you can't overstate how uncomfortable that 10% is because at least for me Kyle like the reason that 10% is because when you know Usually when you're having this conversation, you know there's there's going to be something that drastically changes for the better or the not so better. You know, i.e., you know, with, with your youth leader, either, you know, you have this conversation and everything's amicable. We go off on good terms. The drama ceases, and everybody is happy-go-lucky. Great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Or the much more likely scenario, which a lot of us play out, in preparation for this is they're going to hate me. They're going to really be upset with me. It's going to be loud Mm -hmm. and they're going to storm out of my office, leave the church and I won't see them again. Right. And for a lot of us that terrifies us, especially when these hard, truthful conversations are people that we do indeed love and we don't want them to leave. We don't want them to step away, but we also know that we have an obligation here. And that's what's hard, is you're going, I know that this is a possibility of an outcome as a consequence of this, and I'm really scared to trust that and to gamble that, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, at least to me, that is where that discomfort is. It's not that you're trying to shy away from truth, you don't want to hurt their feelings, it's that there are some real legitimate consequences attached to this, and I'm scared that they might come true.
0: Yeah, and I, (laughs) I feel like when... Like for us as leaders when we go into conversations that we feel might like like we don't know maybe this is going to get ugly maybe it's not mm-hmm. you know they're going to they're going to storm out of my office or they're going to receive this in love I don't know I feel like we prepare for the worst yeah we always prepare for the worst in my experience it's almost never right the worst yeah you know we get all psyched up for these conversations, and our stomach gets in knots, and we lose sleep, and we have the conversation. It's like, well, that wasn't so bad compared yeah. to what was compared to all the nightmares that I concocted right. in my head. This uh-huh. was a piece of cake. Where they
1: punch me in the face and right. kick me and slam yeah. my door and break the glass on my door and key my car on the way out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, none of that that rarely ever happens. Yeah, but on the accountability side. I think that there are. Uh, I think we we shy away from those conversations because we're afraid. Like Derek said, we're afraid of the consequences. Mm-hmm. But the consequences of the tough conversation are usually they usually pale in comparison to the consequences when you know we mess up.
1: In a more public way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Which I'm sure we're going to talk about to some capacity in a little bit here. Oh, we will. And uh, can, I just want to come out, come forth with something. I uh, Confessions with Derek. More or less. Um, fire and brimstone. If you're in the South, this is your bread and butter. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> if you're in my church, this is... Br- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I... It's my new preaching strategy. Fire and brimstone, I really didn't like because like it it is entirely based in fear. I grew up in a very traditional context. I, I would I was a cheaster, Christmas and Easter only yep. um growing up. And it was a you know, Catholic Lutheran church. I whenever I say it was this was a I, Catholic and a Lutheran no, church, uh, that's impressive. Well, I went to different ones, oh ah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I always feel bad because I am not trying to slam them here. It's just it's a different approach to what I do now. Um, but it very much was that fire and brimstone, like get your act together, do this or else you are going to burn, you know? And I, I struggled with that, not because I thought it was true, but like, it was so based in fear Mm, that it felt like you better, if you don't want to go to hell forever, you'll believe this. And it, which is. Technically true. true. Yeah. That's the hard part. Exactly. But so I, I see why people do it because hell's a real place and it's, it's a really bad place to be, yep. uh, you know? And like, I I get that, but I, because I know it didn't work for me and because it eradicated a relationship with Jesus, I hated that, mm-hmm. you know? And so that fire and brimstone is, has never been a desire. But where I'm going with all of this is, it's it also a, a very real reality that we are going to come face-to-face face with God himself. you know. And as much as the consequence of them leaving your church is a scary one, it's a scarier one if you're not being obedient to God who's telling you to do this because you're afraid of what that person might respond to. That's where that fear of man scripture comes back into play here. Like if your fear... Fear of man is not just, oh, they're going to beat me up and put me in the hospital. Fear of man is, what if they storm out of here and they don't like me anymore? Mm -hmm. And that seems elementary, but that's true. As a people pleaser myself, as someone who loves and like really puts a lot of undue weight in the approval of others, that's what scares me, is that if I really step on their toes and do this, they are going to write me off, say, dude, heck with you, and off they go. And sometimes if it's because this is the truth and this was God's calling me to do, I have to be okay with that. You know, and that's, that's when we're talking about consequences, I just wanted to mention that as well. Cause like don't sacrifice obedience to God for the approval of others because it's a losing game and you can't live and operate on that principle alone.
0: Yeah. I want to, man, we got a lot of scripture here today. I'm going to, I'm going to point to John chapter six. Jesus is preaching to a crowd and I believe this is, if I remember correctly, this is where he goes into like, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my bread, then you will not, uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to have problems, whatever it is. Okay. Uh, Like, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. Like that is, that is a problem where um, if, if you, uh, he he basically says all of this really radical stuff. And then the he gets together with his disciples and, and a lot of people walk away from him mm-hmm. in this moment. And he gets back to his disciples. He's like, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter's like, dude, where the heck else are we going to go? <laughs> like, you're, we're with you. Mm-hmm. We're not leaving. And I point to that verse a lot in ministry because... I think that there's this idea of, it's basically Jesus combating being a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. Like he was, he basically encouraged people walking away from him if all they were there for was the charisma. Mm -hmm. And I think that it would do some leaders some good to, you know, you don't have to purposely push people away, Mm -hmm. but speak the truth. And if they walk away, you know, this wasn't the right season for them to be where they were at.
1: Right. Yeah. It's hard, man. I, uh, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to say it's, I think it's probably the one thing that that God's really speaking to me in this season of life is um, being okay with that, you know, and it it comes back to, I, I keep, just harping on this, but it just goes back to you got to know your identity and Mm -hmm. you got to know exactly who you are. You got to know whose you are. You got to know that regardless of how this conversation is received, this is, I am secure in who I am. I am secure in the position God's called me to be in and I'm not responsible for their reaction. And that's something you have to grab hold on and claim as a truth because if they respond negatively to criticism that is truthful if they respond negatively to a truth that needs to be spoken that's more a reflection of them and not on you you know and the opposite of tr- is true as well um this is this happened the other night and i don't you just hate uh just side tangent when your wife is so right and you wish that they weren't but they're always just so right oh yeah, yeah. 100% you know so like there was a situation where we had this conversation. I did the right thing. I prayed about it. I did what I was supposed to do. But it wasn't received well at all. And there was text messages that were not kind and not well presented. And it was really mean. And the the justified person in me wanted to go, you know, just sp- spurt back, write the response. Not like a screw you, but like a these are the facts and I'm defending myself. Mm-hmm. And then my wife reminded me of a sermon we listened to together. She goes, you know that was for you, right? And I'm like, oh gosh. But basically what the sermon was, was whether you choose and how you choose to respond to criticism speaks a lot more about your character than the one spoken to mm-hmm. you. And and, and the yeah. gist of it was, is if your haters are coming at you, if your critics are coming at you and saying all these negative things about you, whether you choose to respond or how you choose to respond speaks a lot more about your character than theirs mm-hmm. and so in this situation if i were to spout back and get into a, a a you know conversation back and forth dialogue that's negative that's my character not being mature enough to say you can say whatever you want i know what i did is is true
0: there's a verse in proverbs about the lack of wisdom in arguing
1: with a fool mhm yeah and that was just it. And so it's like, you have to be okay with the fact, this is who I am. This is what God called me to do. And I'm going to do it with conviction. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, that's, that's
0: important. Uh, how, how, I love that. How we respond to, to criticism uh, is, is important. And it says a lot about us. Uh, hopefully it's in a calm manner because the criticism was laid out to us truthfully and with directness, mm-hmm. um, that's uh, that's that's the goal. Because at the end of the, to bring it all the way back, you know we we want to remain doing what we're doing. We want to continue to pursue what God has for our lives, and it's very very difficult for us to do that uh, when we have compromised in ways that we shouldn't have. And so, if we can have people around us. That are helping us avoid that, then uh, that's gonna pay a lot of dividends down the road, uh, and so that's that's kind of what we're gonna get into over the next um, four weeks, four episodes. Uh, beginning next week, we're gonna kind of dive into the specifics of our situation here at our church, uh, what happened, uh, and, and next week we'll kind of lay out for you guys. Here's kind of what the structure of this uh you know the next four episodes will look like but we wanted to begin here because i think it's important to just remind all of us that that there is a high standard that pastors are held to and uh we we achieve that high standard with god's help and through his grace uh the holy spirit plays a much bigger role than we do mm-hmm. in in that uh but it's something that we cannot cannot take lightly
1: I think it's also a good reminder if you're not a pastor to just be gracious with your pastor because they do carry this burden with them a lot. And and pray for them often. Thank you. And that's what I was just going to say is like, when we talk about praying for us, it's that, that's, that's what it's all about, you know, because this is, uh, this is something you, you feel on a constant basis and, um, you know, Jesus talks about taking up your cross, you know, and bearing your cross. And to me, that's what this is for me is um, as serious as it is, as heavy as it is, it's one I proudly bear because I'm thankful this is my way of I get to serve the Lord. Um, And so I I'm thankful for it, you know, but I also greatly covet the prayers of those who pray for me and on behalf of me and my family, uh, because they truly do make a difference. So I love it.
0: That does it for today's episode. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Uh, On behalf of Derek, I think it's about time that I go find some more fruit snacks. Goodbye.